Hello and welcome to episode 73 of Climactic. I'm Mark and I'll be one of your hosts today. For this very first host chat, two people having a natter, somewhat more traditional podcast format episode. Today is about climate reality, the group founded by Al Gore in the wake of his documentary An Inconvenient Truth, which gives trainings on climate communication to people around the world, and which myself and co-host Georgia Scheel attended this year in Brisbane. This was back in June, and of course, as you hear this in late August, or whenever you're listening, you'll know a lot has happened in the world since then. Heat waves in Europe, shockingly fast ice sheet loss in Greenland, fires in Siberia, the Amazon, the Congo, and much else besides. You'll probably be wondering what you can do in the face of the unfolding tragedy we're seeing unfold at an accelerating pace before our eyes. And that's where Climactic, as an independent group of storytellers, is positioned well to say, you can only do what you can, but you can do that. Whether that's working at or volunteering with the big NGOs, the ACFs, wilderness societies, and Greenpeace's, the grassroots groups like Beach Patrol and Friends of Dananong Creek, the donating, the calling and letter writing, the banding together, the mutual support. That's all vital. And it's our job to help keep you motivated, keep you inspired, our stories being shared and voices being lifted. We are so lucky to have had the last week of the show dedicated to the work of Gretchen Miller, who did just that. Who was able to spend months helping the stories of people across Australia engaged in acts of ecological rescue be heard in their most beautiful form. We can do all this, but at the end of the day, we need your help in seeing that they're heard. We know there are hundreds of you listening, and we appreciate it so much. But if what we're doing is worth your time, we'd like to think we'd be of value to your friends and family as well. So if you're enjoying Climactic, now would be a great time to share a relatable, inspiring story from the climate community with a friend, loved one, or a group who's also got a story just waiting to be told. Our collective is strong and growing, and this episode is proof. Thanks to the efforts of Gemma Payne, in editing this recording, this episode is now being released two and a half months later than we'd originally planned. Because editing yourself, it's no fun task. Our thanks to Gemma for her excellent work on behalf of the Climactic Collective. And now, without further ado, here's a recap of, and learnings from, the Climate Reality Leadership Training with Al Gore from Brisbane in June 2019.
Hello and welcome to Climactic, episode 63. I'm your host, Georgia Shield. And I'm Mark Spencer. So, Georgia, you and I were both at Climate Reality this year in Brisbane. That, that's a whole mouthful. Actually, the full title, we were both at the Climate Reality Project Leadership Training. So let's dig into what that means. How did you hear about Climate Reality for the first time? I was doing a little bit of a search online for communities that were already existing that were doing work mm-hmm. within the climate change space. So in particular, I was trying to find a place where I could learn about how to articulate the climate change emergency to to everyday people without just going straight into, oh, by the way, there's an emergency and we all need to do something about it, like be able to actually articulate and reach people at different stages and different levels. So I found a couple of sort of existing community groups, but I really quickly stumbled upon the Climate Leader Hub. And that's how I sort of weave my way through this rabbit hole of the internet and found the Climate Leadership Program. Yeah, and I applied straight away. And then I found out that you were doing it. <laughs> that's that's really funny. So you did you were out looking for basically what they were doing and that's how you you found them. So you're looking for ways to become more effective and to talk about the climate crisis just to a broader range of people and to do it more effectively. I think I was also looking for it to sort of supplement the work that we're doing here. You know, we're interviewing, we're talking, we're trying to elevate people's stories about climate change and where they're actually taking action. But I found that I'm very comfortable on the other end asking the questions and delving a little bit deeper because I'm super curious. But when it comes to someone saying, oh, but what is climate change really about? I didn't really feel that equipped to answer that question on my own. I felt like I would more than more likely defer to somebody else uh, or say, look, you know, this is my view, but you're allowed your own view and not really push it much further than that and I'd love to be able to hold space for actually trying to shift people's perspectives and if I can't that's fine but I would never have tried if I hadn't been to the climate reality training before you you didn't feel like you had the tools you didn't you didn't want to come across as an expert in something you didn't feel expert in exactly that responsibility right for for being the one to tell someone about anthropogenic climate change that's a big responsibility that could hopefully change the course of their life and what if you tell them the wrong thing and and they don't change Well, for me, the other element is I'm an engineer, so I sit in this area where there's either a right answer or a wrong answer to a certain extent, or at least that's how I've been trained to be correct. And I have this constant desire for clarity and for certainty. So when it comes to having a conversation with someone, which is sometimes, I mean, there are some, there is a science there that it was, that is certain, but people's emotions and people's perspective of it, it's not certain and navigating that and being open to sort of different views and holding space for that. You know, in my mind, it's very black and white. We need to make the change, but I, I don't know if I really had the skills to articulate that properly. Um, And as an engineering mind, I guess I just needed those skills before I was even willing to go there. But how about you? How did you find it? Well, you know me, I'm a lot more like I'm willing to practice in public. Like I I, I might be bad at something, but I'm just going to start doing it, which is both a good and a bad thing sometimes. I heard about climate reality by going to an event here in Melbourne, which is how most of my life now started happening about a year ago. You know, started Climactic with Rich, and I was, you know, out in promotion mode. And I was going to events just about every night of the week for a good six months. And one of those events was called Climates, which is a nonprofit charity based here in Melbourne that does a lot of work in the Pacific, places like Fiji and Tonga. And it's it's not climates, it's climates, because we're mates with the Pacific, and we needed to show some leadership as, as Australians and, and sort of own our, um, own our emissions and own our, our privilege a bit. 
So at one of those talks was a climate reality stand. Two of the interns who are working for climate reality were there. And that was the first time I'd ever heard about climate reality was like this time last year. Heard of Al Gore, of course. I'd heard of Inconvenient Truth, but never the group. So I got chatting with the interns, told them, of course, about what I was doing with Climactic, because I would tell anything with a pulse about Climactic. And shortcut to, um, we we booked an interview. uh, We did an episode with them, interviewing one of the first 150 people trained by Al Gore uh, in Sydney, actually. This is the first place he came after the first training at his family farm in a barn in Tennessee. And that, yeah, I, I heard about it, yeah very much from from a conversation and i thought straight away like this is great you know getting to interview this guy who's a member of mensa he's like a high flying lawyer this is marcus gibson who was the mc at the event we'll get to talking about the event i straight away thought oh climate reality it's where all the really smart really successful this is like the the ivy league of climate change work. So I, of course, never thought I'd be going to it. <laughs> um, but so you found it and you thought this would be great and I'm doing stuff with Climactic and we're like, like I'm getting involved in this space. I'll apply. Did you think you had like a good shot at it going? Like, you know, we were there two weeks ago. Does that s- seem real to you? Totally now? real. Yeah, totally real. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> Magic. Like, I think if- I'd like wake up sometimes. I'm like, was I really there? Like, did that happen? I think... For me, having done the Centre for Sustainability Leadership course with some really amazing people here in Sydney in 2017, I realised that people working in this space, like let's put it out there, the work that needs to be done isn't sexy. The work that needs to be done is torturous to a certain extent. I mean, there's a lot of joy to be had in it and there's a huge amount of fulfilment that you can get from that work as well, but by no means is it sexy. And so therefore, a lot of the people that I met in that space who were really changing things and who are now some of my greatest friends, really they're just humans with an amazing set of skills and who have in their own way taken responsibility for what's going on in the world. So I kind of I kind of felt like I was ready. I was hopeful that I would get in. I didn't really think too much about whether I would or wouldn't. I just thought I'm putting myself out there. This would be a great opportunity and I know that I would do a lot with it and that's kind of what I put in my application and I'm really grateful that I was one of the 780 or so select people that were able to go and it's just a a whole nother level of training now that I feel like I've got Mm -hmm. and really I I value it so highly and I'm really quite grateful and we're one of 20,000 people now so this community it's really exciting to be part of it at this point in time like it doesn't matter what point in time you join these kinds of communities you just have to get in and and learn from them be connected to it but I mean you clearly feel a bit starstruck but you totally deserve to be there Mark the work you've put in over the last year (laughs) is kind of like out of control but that's for another episode we could talk about all the great things that mark has done <laughs> about yeah no that sense of like kind of a imposter syndrome or, or like we, we you're right that the work we need to put in now it isn't isn't sexy stuff and it's a lot about getting out of our our choir and our bubble and talking to people who aren't affiliated with this stuff yet so for me i felt very much like i've got a strong kind of niche I work in like I, I work at an op shop during the day and I now am lucky enough to do do podcasts more and more as my day job as well like I've got clients I do this for so when I'm around other environmentalists I feel like such a bad environmentalist but that's the fact like I I, I get to talk to non-environmentalists a lot as as one of them 
rather than, oh, I'm, I'm a greenie who's parachuted in from Al Gore land and I'm here to talk to you about the climate. It's like, oh no, I'm one of you who got to go off to climate land to see what all the greenies are up to. And oh boy, we should be worried about that. We should talk about it. Um, and you're bringing a different voice. So- you know, I think it's important that there are lots of, there's a diversity out there of people from different perspectives and different walks of life, different experiences, different abilities, all, all, all of the rest. And therefore we need leaders who reflect the diversity of our communities. So yeah. I actually think that it's really important that we bring people who, even though you don't feel like maybe you were the natural fit, sit at the t- seat at the table, you are doing a huge amount of work in that space. And even I, you know, mm. I'm on, I work in agriculture. I don't work directly in sustainability, but I guess we're starting to get to that level now where every single element of our society needs people who are going to lead in the climate because it has to be more inclusive than it has been in the past. Yeah, couldn't have said it better. That That is exactly it. I just, one of the things that I was struck with by being there was I knew people who, who didn't get to go, who had applied, uh, I think who had applied quite late in the process, unfortunately, because it was a rolling admission thing. So for anyone listening who did apply and didn't get in, I feel like you probably should have had my seat <laughs> more than I did. Like I got so much out of it, but I knew people who were our leaders in their community and who absolutely deserved to be there. But if you applied later on in the, the window, people were being accepted kind of as they applied and spots were starting to get quite thin towards the end there. So one thing to be aware of for when the next time this opportunity comes up, and I think you and I, Georgia, we're both going to agree that yes, definitely apply. Yes, it's definitely worth going. Um, if you get the chance, apply early, apply often, but don't. It's like vote early, vote often. No, just apply once, but as soon as you can. Agreed. Um, Agreed. Did you know anyone, Georgia, who, who applied who didn't get to go? No, not that I'm aware of. Mm. Mm. No worries. So you, you thought your chances were were quite good and I'm I'm and they were and I'm so happy that we were both there. It was amazing. Um to maybe get out the the most the biggest question that I've been asked since getting back and maybe you as well. What was it like to be in the room with the the headliners, the the big names, the Al Gore's, Mike Cannon Brooks? Uh who who else was there that that you were kind of a little like were you starstruck and and did you people want to know especially like oh what was it like being in the room with the famous person well i guess how do i put this status to me within this space uh dissolves quite quickly because of the common ground that we all have and the common goal it really reduces people to their human counterparts of if you get what i'm saying there so starstruck not so much what i did feel was i felt an overwhelming sense of gratitude for the work that people who were in the room had done up until this point. There were some people, really high caliber people because of the work that they'd done and what they've already contributed. Like people like Al Gore, I'm just looking through my book right now and it is littered, literally littered with one liners (laughs) from that guy. Honestly, I'm going to try and pull Mm -hmm. one out for you now. You know, this is one of my favorites. Things take longer than you think they will, but then things move faster than you thought they ever could. I mean, Mm -hmm. goosebumps. I just can't. I mean, he he blows me away. His, both of his movies, Inconvenient Truth and the sequel themselves, are very much part of my journey. They solidified and reminded me that how I feel and the responsibility I feel is just and worthwhile. So, I mean, he just blows me away. I, being in his presence was energizing. What did you feel? I mean, Al Gore just rocks my world. For, for me, it was... This is, this is the part where even now, two weeks on, I'm still like waiting for someone to tell me, oh no, you've, you were just in a coma or, and you've dreamed it. Um, I, I've been an American politics junkie since I was a little 
homeschooled only child reading a lot about American history and American politics. And I was in a room with a former vice president, which is is absolutely huge to me. And then to be literally 10 meters from him, it was hugely empowering and also hugely terrifying, honestly, Georgia, because leaving that room now, I realized that power distances aren't all that great. We're all people. And it's a very, it's a very crystallizing moment the, cr- the climate crisis for realizing that a lot of the structures we've built in human society don't matter that much in comparison to the power of the natural world, in comparison to the changes we've made in the climate and the changes we have to make now to fix it. And we, we can't fall into messianic or savior thinking, but it is so encouraging that someone who has every human or earthly or societal reason to to be able to retire and relax and live a very comfortable, very fulfilling private life is still in the public life, traveling constantly. I was doing, you know, as as I do, embarrassingly enough, I think for everyone else in Climactic, but I do my little live videos and just to capture these kind of thoughts as they're coming to me. And the first night of Climate Reality, I walked just across the street from the convention center and I just looked down into the camera and I said, like, this man is still doing this after 12 years and there is no reason to do it if you're not passionate. And to have a man in that position still that passionate after 12 years is so encouraging. Because if he can do that, then boy, we should as well. And what he's been able to do is turn the passion into action. I look I look at people like him and I, I look at them for a certain thing. I'm looking for lessons that I can take into my own life and apply to myself because I've definitely had moments of paralysis, analysis paralysis beyond, you know, I, as I said, I can hold that space for information and I love learning in this climate <laughs> that we're in. Mm-hmm. When you like learning and you're open to learning about these things and you realize the, the gravitas of what we're dealing with, um, looking mm-hmm. for leaders who be, can go beyond that and find within them the strength and the courage, because it is, it's courageous. You know, he mm-hmm. could, he could just retire and live a lovely, prosperous, happy life, but instead he's getting up and he's having difficult conversations with governments. He's traveling all over the world and he's being seen, he's being heard, he's being relevant still to this day and that's super uh, exciting to see and also that energy to be imparted on us is just amazing and and he was one of many so who else for you who else really um has resonated with you even still a couple of weeks on who is in your memory bank Mm. well i i was totally shocked that um marcus gibson who was our our mc on day three yeah one of one of Al's original 150 trainees who's given hundreds of presentations. Getting to interview him early on in Climactic a year ago at this point, just that he he remembered who I was. He recognized me down at the pub. I then got to sit with, with all of his friends who who only caught up again because they were all mentors at Climate Reality. They were catching up after years of not seeing each other. Guys who I, I'd butcher the positions and the roles they're in, but but people who have either gone on to do or or come out of quite high positions in traditional Australian economy, like we're talking the mining industry and, and finance and banking, um, that they were catching up, having a beer, watching the state of origin, welcomed in, you know, this, this kid in his late 20s who was, you know, at climate reality and kind of looking a bit starstruck. Just the, 
the fact that by being in the room, I was one of them. There was no sense of, of power distance. So I, I was I was amazed by everyone there because um, I didn't really find anyone who, who deserved to be there less than me. <laughs> I, I thought everyone had so much to, to bring. And there's, there's the, yeah, of course, um, Aton from, from Beyond Zero Emissions, Amanda from Climate Works. These are people that I'm now so excited to have met and get to work with because I'm not just some some guy that's going to be emailing them anymore. I'm going to be someone that, that I met, that they met, at Climate Reality in person. I was in the room with them. We're on the same page, and we're all in the same community now. It was kind of a bit like a rite of passage of like, ah, oh, you're one of us. I, I know for you, you got to meet one of one of your kind of new friends, but yeah, someone you admire quite a bit who's got a lot of, of media coverage and I, I got to be there as you, you met her in person for the first time. And I thought you, you played it very cool. You did very well. You weren't <laughs> foot in mouth like I've been before. But but who was that and what was that like? Oh, I think, you know, first of all, oh, I have to reach out to Annika before this. So Annika Molesworth is someone <laughs> who has, she is the right messenger for the message that's required within agriculture at the moment. For that community. Yep. So I think, and this is uh, some commentary from Anna Rose I must say it's not my original thought so I must credit Anna Rose for this one but she did a talk as part of Vivid around how to talk about climate change and this was on the Sunday before climate reality training and she was talking about the need to not only share and meet people where they're at but ensure that you've got the right person who is the right person to be sharing that message to the people you're trying to speak to and the one thing I like about Annika Molesworth I've been following her work for a long time and really interested by, you know, she is a sheep farmer or a sheepless sheep farmer at the moment from Broken Hill. And she is the right person to be talking to farmers about climate change. You know, it's something that I would love to be able to do. But when I think about it, really, I want to be supporting people like her and people like Anna Rose and Farmers for Climate Action to be talking about it because they have the agency, not just the agency, but the credibility to be in the room. Mm-hmm. So it was really nice to be able to meet her face to face, having kind of stalked her semi on LinkedIn and just been following her work. So it was really nice to be able to meet her face to face. And I didn't know she was going to be there. So it's quite interesting, you know, arriving there. There's lots of there's lots of people doing really amazing work. And I think that and this is a probably more of a note for you as well. Like I find it so interesting that the imposter imposter syndrome comes to us all at some point in life. But I would encourage you to reflect on you wouldn't be in the room if you didn't deserve to be there. And mm-hmm. and I think everyone in the world has a role to play within this movement. And it just so happens this opportunity came to you at a time that you were ready for it. And I really do believe in that. So, you know, as much as there were amazing people there doing amazing work who I am super thrilled to have met, you know, it's also every single person that was there is somebody in their own right as well. And mm-hmm. although they may not have made made something of themselves in the traditional sense everyone has influence in their life whether it be just with their housemates their family or their community so that's kind of the power of everybody you know as back to my first point around diversity you know just some of the people the caliber of the people there you are right the caliber of the people there was out of control Mm. like there were Mm -hmm. some insanely successful but also just people who have really dedicated themselves and who have really refined their art form they're really good at what they do they Mm -hmm. know their shit (laughs) they Mm -hmm. are leading in the their own unique spaces and they're people that we both look up to clearly Mm -hmm. whether or not that's our journey or we'll be a different version of that we'll all be leaders and I think that's what came out strong from the training was that we all just need to be out there and the best versions of ourselves 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was obviously. My, I feel like you had some starstruck moments as well, but I, I do, I do encourage you to hold space for the fact that you deserve to be there. Yeah, yeah. I guess thinking about it right now, there's probably a better way to put it in that I, I am a, you know, sort of setting up in this space as, as a bit of a, not just a, a journalist at the time because that's a specific skill and it's a trade, trade craft, and and I'm not a journalist, but more of a. a chronicler and and a a journaler of this time and everyone in that room had such an amazing story and I was just happy to be there to get the chance to maybe work with them to tell potentially their story but also the stories of the work that they're doing Mm, totally agreed agreed Mm. so we were there with a lot of great people and we've been lucky enough to have a couple of them send in their own thoughts and experiences on what they got out of those amazing three days and two nights so the first one we've got here is from uh, Marissa and Marissa's from Melbourne as well as I am, and she sent in this fantastic little just bit of a audio sort of journal about her time. Hi, my name is Marisa Sanchez, and I work in the climate change and energy team of a consulting firm called Point Advisory here in Melbourne, and I learned about the Climate Reality Leadership Corps training through a friend that also works in the in the same industry and that has also just become a climate reality leader in Brisbane. So after three long and, and a bit exhausting days of training in Brisbane, I do feel quite excited and inspired to do more and to find ways to contribute with the spreading the word and educating people not only in Australia but hopefully also in Spain which is where I'm from about the challenges and the opportunities that our generation and also future generations will face as a result of climate change. It is um, it is my daily job to assist public and private organizations mitigate and adapt to the impacts of climate change. But in addition to that, I think one of my first acts of leadership will be to help a fellow climate reality leader to understand and calculate the carbon footprint of his international NGO. And once we've understood the emissions footprint of his organization, we can hopefully work together in identifying opportunities to reduce it. So it's a very exciting way to put my skills at work to help out a member of the climate reality family. That's so good. Mm. Wow. So, so Marissa's <laughs> a bit of a legend. So there was a lot that she... Yeah, I'd agree with there's that. There's a lot that she said there. What what struck you the most or what did you connect with? There was a really long and tiring three days, <laughs> which it was. It was amazing. But yeah, the, like just to, to underscore and uh, emphasize that point that, yeah, it was an intense three days. I would like to just butt in with a disclaimer that I think you squeezed as much out of those three days as was possibly squeezable, though. Like, you gave it 110%. Did I tell you I didn't sleep one of the nights? You did. You did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that second and third day would just became one long day. And then the end of the third day, I was home in Melbourne. And then I worked the next day. It was amazing. Like, I... Yeah. You were running on some kind Maybe of was universal little... energy, mate. You really went for it. I loved it. It was great to see. It really was. <laughs> it, was it was my element. It was it just. It was summer camp. It was really. Um, but yeah, what, what Marissa said there, just like being, yeah, again, being in the room. But but straight away, she, she's someone who works in the field of climate change uh, measuring of of mitigation of adaptation. So it would have been so great for her to get outside of maybe the few people she works with that consultancy to be in a room of 700 nearly 800 other people who are on the same page with her rather than even in a consultancy with that team she'd still be a minority of people who who are engaged with who want to talk about who want to acknowledge the climate crisis so i I think that would have been a, a huge thing for her and i hope for the last two weeks that sort of she's been able to keep up that that sort of fire and energy and and like she said of catching up with other 
climate reality leaders and and keeping up that momentum because it it can lead to a bit of a post you know summer camp blues crash which just might be a good time to talk about that quickly georgia i i know i can fully put my hand up and acknowledge that coming back was hard but you had some really good advice on that and some skills you learned from the Center for Sustainable Leadership. So former past guest, Matt Wicking, who was your facilitator, did train you all in, or, or did have you expect to feel that way and, and give you some tips on how to handle kind of the, the post-event come down? Mm. Oh, look, <laughs> I think I'm, oh, I'm glad that I give off the uh, impression that I'm really good at managing this. Thank you. You do. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, I think everyone has their own unique way of refilling their cup. I think that's the best way to put it. For me, I find being on my phone, social media, being constantly connected, very exhausting. So coming back from three days like that, I had a weekend where I basically stayed within my circle of comfort, which was my home area, mm. going, getting coffees you know, with friends or just reading a book. I spent a whole day reading, a whole night reading. I finished a book and that I really needed to recharge to the point where I haven't I only today sat down to put into place my roadmap. And although my mentor has been asking me for it, and I totally respect that I've been a bit lagging for me and my energy levels, it's taken me up until maybe the last couple of days to really feel full again, because I also jumped straight back into a very busy short week at work after having a short week at work mm-hmm. and then jumped into a weekend away that had been planned for ages with some girlfriends in Hobart. So I haven't stopped since then. But that Mm -hmm. weekend after was really just about recalibrating for me. And I would say everyone just needs to find their own groove. I mean, I'm an extrovert, so spending time with people just chatting about things is what gave me energy, a good old sleep in, a good book. But just listening to your body and one of the quotes, I guess, from the time as well in Brisbane was around sustaining yourself. What's really important is just listening to your body and your mental state. I know for myself, when I start overthinking things and ruminating on things, it means that I need to slow down. So that's my particular marker. I'm quite aware of that one. So yeah, I started getting a bit overwhelmed by the everything. And I knew that, you know, when you're the person who is still sees things clearly and knows what to do. So you have to just quiet yourself and give yourself that permission to go slow. Actually, I think that was really something that came strong from the training is give yourself permission to go slow when it comes to relationships, when it comes to learning. You're not expected to know everything overnight. Give yourself that permission to go slow. And I think that also applies to self-care. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful way to put it. And I guess to, to put a point on it as well, like we've come back from climate reality leadership training two weeks ago. Would you call yourself a climate reality leader now? Oh my gosh. I don't know. Maybe Is becoming a leader just a pure result of, of going to a training? Probably not. However, when do you, when does leadership start and stop? is the question. And so I like to think of myself as a leader because of all the intentions I have and the fact that we do this podcast or the work I've done in the past, the work I currently do and the work I plan on doing in the future. I think that makes me a leader. I think that makes you a leader. Am I at my full potential as a leader? No, definitely have a lot more skills to learn. I think that's, but that's my default always is I always need to learn Mm. more. And actually what I'm trying to move towards is I think you have enough, Georgia. I think you have enough knowledge I think you have mm. enough skills. Give yourself permission to lead on some things that you might not feel 100% comfortable leading on. So I'm moving into this phase now of not staying as safe as I might have been in the past. And that's how I'm going to try and test my leadership ability is to mm-hmm. move into areas that make me uncomfortable because they're important. 
and because I feel that there's mm-hmm. a huge responsibility there. So look, mm-hmm. honestly, <laughs> my guess is as good as yours. This it could be. I imagine there'll be lots of mistakes, but I think we need to fail fast sometimes and give ourselves permission to actually give it a go. But how about you? How do you feel like you're an embodied climate reality leader? <laughs> no, not at all. But that's, I guess, the point. I like that they've got the syntax around. It's it's not about who you are. It's about what you do. And right from the start, it's it said, you know, do your first acts of leadership and write them down and, and give yourself some goals and, and, you know, go at your own pace, but but measure what you're doing and do what, what Marissa's done. I think the, it's a beautiful thing about the message you sent in. Her first act of leadership is to help someone else. It's not out the front. It's not taking credit. It's someone's doing something great. They've got an NGO. They could use a bit of help quantifying their carbon footprint. And Marissa's got the skills to do that. And she's volunteering some of her time and skill to help someone else. That That is an act of leadership. And the simple access to that climate reality network is huge. And this is maybe the, the right time to say that you know, with the circumstances that took me there and me feeling kind of very much like the avatar for the normal people who was there, who, who hasn't done a lot or been in the community very long. If anyone in the community, our community, our listeners, the climate community in general, if you need anything in particular, just let me know. And, and I'll be able to find someone in the Climate Reality Network who's the perfect person to help. And they'd be more than happy to. This is the whole point of going to Climate Reality is to break down any sense of, of silos and cliques and and just work together as Mm. one massive unitary Mm. force yeah and marissa had a very good point about raising acts of leadership which is something we haven't touched on yet but that would have to be one of the the key messages of the three-day training was around as part of attending and as part of being given the opportunity to be trained you also have the responsibility of going out and in your own way going through acts of leadership and that can be unique to you and your skill set and the things you would like to do in your life as well and the things you'd like to learn or the things you'd like to contribute and I think that's a really special part of the program and the fact that beyond the training we're all still connected by those acts of leadership we also celebrate them together so for those who aren't aware there's a platform where anyone who attended one of the trainings and has become a climate reality leader can record their acts of leadership they can comment on others they can support others and it's just a way to keep us accountable as well so it's really putting into into place some practical measures to make sure that we're supported beyond the training so really the training is just the beginning And I don't think there's any real reason why as leaders, you and I, Mark, couldn't also impart that onto people in our community. So reiterating what you said, if anyone needs any support or help, or even beyond that, if someone wants to understand what we understand now, we've got these 500 slides from Al Gore (laughs) that we get to use, Mm -hmm. or rather we have 500 slides from the Climate Reality Leadership Corp put together by everyone who's involved in that organization, which we can use to handcraft presentations. Doesn't matter for whichever platform, whichever audience, whatever time frame we've got, we get to create these presentations to help communicate the climate emergency to people in ways mm. that they'll understand. And potentially, as I said before, there will be times where you and I aren't the right messenger for the people we'd like to talk with. And so potentially someone like yourself who's listening could be the right messenger. So if you've got a community you want to talk to about this stuff, we might have the content for you, I think is a good message as well. Yeah, absolutely. That That's one of the main purposes of climate reality when there's not a training going on is to have this directory of people who will be the right messenger for the right audience in the right place with yeah that that right crafted message 
So either get in touch with Climate Reality if you have a group or a, a setting, a venue where you want to have one of these talks and one of these presentations, or feel free to get in touch with us and I'm happy to get you in touch with, with Climate Reality. We've got another message that was sent in to us from Kaushik who was interviewed before the training, and it was very much both me and Kaushik who were going along as as newbies to climate reality, talking about our expectations and our, our you know, trepidations. And we were talking to Lindo, who was trained about 12 years ago as a high school student, and he runs the Australia-New Zealand branch office of climate reality. And I was on Kaushik's table there, and he was just like me, getting so much out of the training. I think just about everything he could have, and he's generously sent in just a, a few minute long kind of recap of the three days for him. Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Kaushik Sridhar, and I was one of the 780 lucky few to attend the Climate Reality Leadership Core training in Brisbane, Australia a couple of weeks ago. It was an absolute honor to learn from one of the leading climate change advocates and voices in the world, former US Vice President and Chairman of the Climate Reality Project, Al Gore. His overall message on the reality of this existential threat I thought was quite powerfully hopeful and optimistic. His three questions about climate change and our future is what really resonated with me. The first question is, you know, do we have to change? Each day, global warming pollution traps as much heat energy as would be released by 400,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs. The second question he asks is, can we change? And according to him, and I believe so, we've already started. So then the big question is, will we change? And according to Al Gore, he says, yes, you know, when any great Moral challenge is ultimately resolved into a binary choice between what is right and what is wrong. The outcome is foreordained because of who we are as human beings. And according to Al Gore, that is why we're going to win this. For me personally, what did I get out of the training? Well, the first thing is I became hopeful. You know, he says, will our children ask, why didn't you act? Or will they ask, how did you find the moral courage to rise up and change? While I always knew how urgent this issue was, the climate reality training gave me hope on possible solutions using technology and everyday behavioral changes that collectively can mitigate some of the risks from climate change. Another thing I got out of this training was that I'm actually more determined than ever. Having worked in this space for over a decade, I think sometimes lethargy can set in or sometimes you might lose a little bit of passion due to sometimes running into brick walls. But after this training, I was motivated, you know, especially when Al Gore says the will to act is a renewable resource in itself. Communication, I think, was a wonderful takeaway from this training, especially when you look at the three budgets that he talks about, which is the time budget, complexity budget, and hope budget. So when you do a climate change training or any sort of stakeholder engagement, I have actually learned that to get the message across effectively, you need to think about these three budgets and how much of these budgets your stakeholder actually has. The last thing I actually got out of the training and quite powerful was I made some really long-lasting friendships, you know, professionally and, and personally. During the training, I, I really quickly realized, looking at all the people, how our small actions or even my small actions can play a role in the domino effect that is now cascading around the world, stimulating environmental action and ultimately putting the brakes on our climate crisis. Um, so, you know, what can we do? What can you as an individual do to combat climate change? I think it is really about firstly educating yourself and others, learning about this issue, writing about it and ultimately speaking about it. That is what I intend to do post this training. You know, I'm certainly very proud to be amongst the newest class of the climate reality leaders. I've got hope and renewed with optimism, you know, that we will rise to the climate challenge. I'm, you know, I'm walking away more connected and with more knowledge and more determin determination than ever before. Wallace Stevens was one of the quotes that Al Gore had on his presentation, which was after the final no, there comes a yes. 
and on that yes the future of the world depends and i truly believe that my intentions now are to try and present the climate reality presentation to community groups to businesses in boardrooms to executives to really anyone who is willing to listen and if they're not then looking at the three budgets and finding a way to connect with them and talk and have a discussion really not talk but have a discussion around how they can make an impact in addressing this this uh, global issue so that is my kind of snapshot thank you very much what a legend huge 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 we should really hire him i guess so <laughs> yeah he's a, I, I think he's a bit too expensive yeah. for us he's a he's head of sustainability for regis aged care the second biggest aged care provider mm. in the country and a former professional tennis player so yeah. he's got an interesting story but i think we've We've converted him to the dark side of podcasting. Amazing articulation, though, I think, for everyone listening. Kaushik has just done a beautiful job of, I think, bringing to the forefront a couple of the really the really strong messages you know especially to give everyone some context of, of how Al Gore frames his conversations and they will you will have seen this if you've watched An Inconvenient Truth or the sequel everything he does follows the same three lines of questioning you know do we have to change can we change and will we change in time is what he's added to that recently mm-hmm. I think um, will we change is it one of those interesting ones it's good if we change but if we're going to change we need to change in time for it to make a big difference And that's the basis of a lot of his presentations and then therefore what we will be presenting back to our communities in time. So what what resonated most with you from what Kaushik had to say? It was his sense of positivity and optimism with leaving. And because I knew Kaushik before, I knew him to be an optimistic and cheerful guy. But I thought surely after the first... So for, for context, Al Gore gave a nearly two and a half hour version of his presentation to us. This was, you know, a, a type of presentation you would not give to any other audience than the one that was in the room who kind of wanted the masterclass version, the no holds barred. This is 100% peak Al Gore climate change going at it. The first hour, hour and a half of that was, I was calling it natural disaster bingo, and it's kind of remembering, hey, remember Hurricane Harvey that nearly wiped out Dallas, Texas? Do you, do you remember Hurricane Ida? Do you remember Hurricane yada yada yada? I thought surely anyone else after that presentation was going to think a lot like me in my dark moments of like, yeah, it's undeniable we've done this, and it's unlikely we're going to fix this. But instead, I left hopeful. Kaushik left as hopeful as he always is. And we instead had, you know, Mike Cannon Brooks in conversation with Al Gore talking about how, you know, we can make Australia a, an amazing world-class future economy by doing the right things. So what really stuck out to me from what Kaushik said was that you can leave three days of intense discussion about the realities of climate change hopeful and optimistic. Mm, absolutely. You know, on that, yes, the future of the world rests so strong it makes you feel i mean his reflection is very similar to mine in that i leave feeling determined and hopeful that the possible solutions that are currently available will lead to collective action and will lead to collective solutions as well it's just there's just so much going on out there in the world honestly i think we are so connected to the problem and the fear but we are less connected to the solutions and the hope and that's something that as leaders we need to bring to the forefront as well. And Kaushik absolutely does that and will continue doing that in his work, which is so important, you know, encouraging people to learn and then to write and then to talk about 
what matters to them within this climate space because everyone really does have the opportunity to have an individual voice in this although we're all working to the collective there are so many different facets of this every single sector everything we do will be impacted by climate change and potentially have the opportunity to help solve some of the problems like the sector that i'm passionate about agriculture has so many threats but also just as many opportunities and that's Mm -hmm. what we need to try and realize and we need to realize that in 10 years within the next 10 years in a real way Mm -hmm. um so yeah, thanks for the hope, Kaushik. Thank you. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, Kaushik, you you recorded that in your car. You told me to before a meeting. This is off the cuff in one take. So that was phenomenal. And thank you so much for sending that in. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think we've conveyed that the climate reality was an amazing experience. It was a it was a life changing experience. At least at least for me. Like I I couldn't have expected going in. For that three days in Brisbane would change my life, but it did. <laughs> and I'm kind of still coming to terms with all the ways it did change my life. But um, but now it's all about what comes next. So you mentioned before, Georgia, you're sort of coming to terms with what your action plan is, what your next steps are going to be. You've you've taken a couple of weeks, which I applaud you for for kind of self care, for lack of you know a different word for it. Mm. And what what kind of does the next few steps look like for you? Thank you for asking. I think they're still evolving in many ways. I tend to Mm. be very much slow to start and then quick to act. So my climate reality leadership pledge at the moment is really more focused on the influence I can have in my career. So for everyone out there listening, there's a we essentially got given a, a toolkit, a big book full of lots of content and summary of what happened during the day. And on page 91, there's a space for capturing your climate reality leadership pledge which as a group with who was on your table you all kind of keep yourself accountable and, and offer support for that and the first question is as a climate reality leader by this time next year I will have and for me it's I will have educated six influences in the food and agricultural sector about the climate crisis and its solutions the reason I picked that is because again there are people out there within that within the agricultural space who have more understanding of how agriculture works than I do. I can't, you know, I grew up in urban Melbourne. I live in urban Sydney right now. But for me, there are mm-hmm. people out there who are influencers and leaders in their, in their fields within the agricultural sector. And I would really love to get some airtime with them and just try to, I guess, present content to them that's relevant, that helps them understand, really understand what the crisis they're facing could look like and what some of the potential solutions would be and then that's they're the right people to be sharing that message with the people that trust them so that's something I'm going to look at working on and then the second question there is in order to do so I will need to so I will need to refine my own story so why me Mm -hmm. why does this matter to me be clear on that which is going to require a bit of reflection for me because I just have I feel like one day I woke up with this urgency and this feeling of responsibility and I'm not can't put a finger on where it came from but it's important that we let people in and share with them our vulnerability and what it is within us that makes us do the work that we do so refining my own story really important Um, I'd like to continue to develop trusted relationships within the sector and develop content in lots of different formats that can address specific agricultural challenges and threats so that's going to require Mm. a little bit of um, research and lots of conversations and a lot of understanding of the context from both a political perspective but also a business perspective from for agriculture. The third question is, I will draw upon my skills such as, so for me, my skills being presenting, facilitation and my capacity to learn. So I have the ability to mm-hmm. hold a lot of space for information. So taking that and forming it into a good narrative is going to be my challenge. But 
definitely a skill as well. And I'll draw on support from my Centre for Sustainability Leadership community, the Climate Reality Leadership community, my colleagues and my many mentors who I respect and peers as well. So that's that's what I'm currently looking at from like a work context, but I'm, I'm also really curious to try and start having conversations with local MPs about things that matter to me in my local mm. community. So that's a separate act of leadership. I'm, at the moment, I'm tossing up between two potential things to talk to them about. One would be having a local recycling facility in the city of Sydney, similar to how they have in the city of Ramwick. So it's a really awesome mm-hmm space where you can bring anything from you know paint to chemicals to recyclables to soft plastics and they deal with them all in the one place that's local to you so mm-hmm. I'd love to talk to City of Sydney about that I'd also love to talk to them about mm-hmm. how we could put in place some programs to try and retrofit some of our apartment buildings that aren't particularly energy efficient you know in the area that I am in in Alexandria there's a lot of trucks going around the streets a lot of work happening so it's very loud on the streets but also a lot of the buildings mm-hmm. have lots of glass and they're only one pane thin so in summer it gets hot and in winter it gets really cold and so I just think things like retrofitting buildings to have proper insulative double glazed windows and better insulation in the roofs and walls and solar panels on the roof waste management in the building those sorts of things is something I'd like to talk about as well yeah so that's that's what's on my list of things that I'm pondering and taking next steps in the next couple of weeks so I've got my first practice presentation in my own home with some friends next Saturday. So that's how I'm kicking it off. But how- that's super positive. Yeah. And and how did you go about sort of creating that group? Are these also fellow climate reality leaders or just friends? These are friends, a lot of whom did the Center for Sustainability Leadership course with me in 2017, but also housemates, boyfriend. So just bringing, and my cousin has just moved to Sydney from Melbourne. So she'll be, she'll be in the room. Nice. So that's going to be hopefully a bit of a diverse community, but also a really safe community to do my first presentation to just to sort of iron out some of the creases and how about you Fantastic. what's on your list what, what's your pledge oh mine was very humble as 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 people who know me i'm very very humble humble braggy i just wanted to make a podcast sector like climate action group or kind of like a not quite like the fair trade seal but kind of like a a collective badge of being a socially aware podcast you know, like kind of create this differentiation of if you've got an audience and you're speaking to people, better drop in a bit of the reality sometime when it's appropriate. Otherwise, you are nothing but pure escapism and kind of just worthless entertainment. So I've got this idea of reaching out to working with persuading and organizing 50 plus influential podcasters by this time next year. That's my big hairy goal. And to do that, I, I need to draw upon yeah industry contacts and friendships and relationships, and I need to make alliances and cement them with some influential firms like Patagonia and other B Corps. I need to um, make alliances with NGOs as well, like Climate Reality, uh, One Million Women, and Global Citizen. And that's kind of been the the idea for Climactic from the start is that we can kind of be a a, a media partner to all of these groups and encourage other people to be more socially conscious and, and responsible in the media they're creating because I'm I'm really over uh, media that cares a lot more about making money than informing the populace. And you can be you can be entertaining but still do some social good as well. So I'm gonna have to draw a lot, I think, on the support of the the Climactic Collective for <laughs> my my friends and colleagues for support in pulling this off. But there's been some interest already and I 
I have not yet booked a, a talk. I have not yet sort of gone through the slides. I got some more podcast clients and now kind of broadened out the um, the addressable market for for climactic and kind of I'm going to be drawing a lot from that content in in sort of mass communication. But I think it's powerful to have those sort of one to 10, one to 15 kind of group talks. I just hope to be giving it to podcasters who also have audiences of thousands and tens of thousands of people. If I can convince them, that's going to have a, a pretty big impact. That's huge. Humble, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's also quite clever, though, because, you know, it's about going through channels and that's the multiplier mm. effect. So I think that that's really powerful. And to be honest, t- sounds totally plausible. It does, right? I was just sitting there at the table at, at in that room of 760 people, and I thought, yeah, that over there is the media manager for the Richmond Tigers, but, but I might know enough people personally who are podcasters that I might have as big of a, a reach as mm. she does, which is amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, I mean, I suppose the, the summary of all of this is that it's more than just training. It's, it's about... Mm-hmm for you and I and the other 778 people that were trained. There it is. <laughs> um, you know, there, there, is, there is this follow-through and this seeking to act and, and put leadership acts out there. So it's really, it's really quite exciting. It's, it's, a, it's great to be given the opportunity, I feel, to actually cement what it is you want to do individually. Do you feel the same? Mm-hmm. I really do. It was um, a chance to ask yourself those questions that if, if you – could get over any sense of, of inferiority. We've talked about inferiority complexes quite a bit in this episode, but any sense of, oh, I'm just me and I can only do this. If you could do what you want to do in order to have as big an impact as you can, what would that look like? Cool. Well, here's all the people, all the contacts, all the influence, all the organization you need in order to do that. Are you going to do it now? It's, it was kind of this great excuse to ask yourself the question, Will I step up if I've got no other excuse? <laughs> and so that's that's why coming back, it was just like, oh wow, that that was definitely not a holiday three days in Brisbane. That was um, that was a a small step onto a much much bigger ladder. Ex- exciting times. Mm. Well, I think that was like it, it was. It's hard to compress three days, especially those three days, into like an hour long chat. I feel like um, the help of, of Marissa and Kaushik helped massively and just having a couple of those kind of very clear sort of audio journal entries to, to cut through it. But um, I think you can sense you and I both, Georgia, are, are kind of grappling with a lot of big questions that it brought up and it meant a lot to both of us. But is there, is there any, like, would you hesitate for a second in recommending this to someone else if they had the opportunity to, to go to climate reality? Oh, absolutely not. No, I think it's... It's essential to, to put yourself... I feel like when opportunities present themselves like this, especially if you are in this space, it's such an enriching experience, but it also it just gives back more than it, than you take from it, honestly. It's just... It's a mm. great experience. Um, and I would absolutely recommend it to anybody that wants to go. It's, it's a great... It's a really good experience, and you're just surrounded by people that provide you with so much wealth of knowledge and so many contacts, but... I would also encourage anyone that is interested in this space as well. You don't need to wait for this kind of a training to be given the permission to lead. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of people in the community right now who have had no formal training like what we've just been through and who are 
being brave and courageous every day, stepping up for what they believe in, even if it's something as simple as going to their local supermarket and asking them if they can you know, look at their plastic bags, for example. There's examples of mm-hmm. leadership everywhere you look when in the climate space. You're not alone. You don't need to go to a three-day training like what Mark and I have just been to in order to be given permission to care about this stuff. It definitely helps to hone your skills, though, and I think any opportunity to do you know, a climate reality leadership training when it comes to Australia, again, or somewhere else, wherever you are, definitely get involved, absolutely. And also get involved mm-hmm. in other communities of practice that you can find online or in your local community. Any opportunity to connect with people who also care just I think it just gives you that lift and it re it's also just reminds you that you're not alone which in this depending on where you work and what you're trying to change you can feel a bit alone because sometimes Mm -hmm. people that are around you don't share your urgency and that can be a bit infuriating and it actually takes quite a lot of your energy so the three days just gave me so much and I'm really looking forward to going outside my comfort zone a little bit and knowing that there's a whole heap of people that are going to catch me in the end. That's right. Thank you so much, all of you, for listening to this first climactic host chat episode. We had a lot of fun doing this. How did you feel about it, Georgia? Oh, it's just been so much fun to reflect with you. And just to know that we've now got this common ground and we're going to continue working on climactic together. And then we're going to have our own initiatives as well. So I'm excited to support you and everything you do and and to share in that in the future. Uh, Thank you. I I feel the exact same. And it was so cool having the two of us there like from our little little fledgling thing it uh it was really really vindicating it and how cool was it to have the climactic logo up on that screen oh. along with <laughs> so there's there's a photo of it right now in the chapter market for those of you listening you can look at your podcast app and see our our humble little logo up on screen with some of the 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 best, biggest climate NGOs in the country. Thank you so much for that, Lynn. <laughs> um, we we hope you've enjoyed this kind of, you know, it, it has been a bit, it's been a lot to um, honestly work through. It was a very, very big three days. And we look forward to doing more of these host chats, definitely when we get the opportunity. And they will be a bit more like about smaller, more discreet things than, than this massive thing Georgia and I have just come back from. But yeah, thank you for joining me to do this, Georgia. I've had a lot of fun. And uh, I think we'll uh, we'll go ahead and sign off and leave everyone to their yeah, day. thanks so much. Great to chat. See you soon. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Climactic, the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective, a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community. You can find out more about the people behind Climactic and all the shows we produce at climactic.fm. We are a social enterprise podcast network, and we greatly appreciate your support. You can find a link to our Pausable where you can support us directly in the show notes of this episode or from our website. Thank you for listening, and from the whole Climactic Collective, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic Collective. This show is produced by Hear Media, a boutique audio agency in Narm, Melbourne. To learn more and get in touch, head to hearmedia.studio. That's H E R E media.studio.